Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 124 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Compassion and Patience, an interview with Heather Globach. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, this young woman went through a really difficult journey that started during her childhood. And unfortunately, one of the most characteristic challenges she had to face was essentially self-bullying, that Heather, because she suffered severe fatigue, was bullying herself in her own mind. So Rich, what really stood out for me in this interview is the fact that Heather was sick for over 14 years, tried such a wide variety of treatments, and then had major success with SLT therapy, which is a cancer treatment now used in the Lyme world. And because of this, she's been able to significantly improve her health and now move on with her passion of health and fitness. And Matt, the beauty of Heather's story is the self-bullying ultimately triggered a transformation in Heather and turned her into a more compassionate and patient person, which is why we named this podcast episode Compassion and Patience. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce to the Take Bootcamp community our compassionate and patient Heather Glovac. Hey, Heather Glovac, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. We're really blessed to have you. I mean, I think you know we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a long, long time, and we're really blessed to finally have you share your story and your experiences with our listeners. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I feel very blessed to you know have this opportunity to share my story. So Heather, can you talk to us about where you live? Yeah, I live in Hermosa Beach, California. I'm actually just maybe it's a 30 second walk from the beach so um you know it's such a beautiful area it's um, very laid back which you know i love (laughs) and um you know everyone here is so friendly you go for a walk you know they say hello and it's just a really beautiful place to be Um, a lot of people consider this to be paradise (laughs) and um, i couldn't agree more with that so heather are you currently working Yeah, I am working full time. Um, I actually work in lending now. So with mortgages. So I do commercial and residential loans. So uh, purchase loan, uh, refinance. Uh, We also do hard money loans. And um, so that keeps me busy. So how long have you been living in paradise? (laughs) I moved here in 2010 um, from Chicago. So I moved uh, from Chicago to uh, Hermosa Beach in 2010. And did you grow up in, in the Midwest? Yeah, I actually was born and raised uh, right outside of Detroit, Michigan. Um, and my mom was in Royal Oak. My dad was in Bloomfield Hills. And I was there up until 2004. And I moved to Chicago in 2004. So let's talk about your childhood and specifically what you knew about ticks and tick diseases during your childhood. Were you tick aware and did you receive any education about ticks and Lyme disease during your childhood in the Midwest? Absolutely not. Um, I, I didn't even know what a tick was. Um, you know, maybe my, my parents knew. However, it wasn't something we ever talked about. Um, you know, I think, you know, there might have been a couple times uh, later on. I, you know, when I was in Chicago, I, I, I may have heard of this, um, but it wasn't something that was ever talked about. It wasn't something, you know, I, I would even hear about. I, I didn't know anyone that had Lyme disease um, up until college. Um, one of my neighbors, uh, my mom called me to tell me that um, she had Lyme disease, and I 
I had no idea, you know, what that meant, what the symptoms um, were or how, um, you know, the, the severity of it. So very little education um, surrounding Lyme disease and ticks. So now, Heather, when did you first begin to show what you now know to be the symptoms of your tick disease? So, you know, after my diagnosis, I, I did a lot of reflecting because it was something that, you know, I didn't understand. And I remember, for me personally, I remember in high school, you know, I did really well um, in high school, but I remember I had such a hard time staying awake in class. Um, it came to the point where, you know, some of my friends would ask, you know, why are you so tired? And it was something I couldn't even articulate the fatigue that I felt. It was this uncontrollable fatigue that if I didn't close my eyes and rest my head, I would fall over. And when you're that young and, you know, you don't understand what is going on in your body, it's very frustrating. I remember I would beat myself up. I thought, why are you so lazy? Why are you so tired? What is wrong with you? And, I've, and I would have these really debilitating conversations with myself. And, um, you know, looking back, that, that definitely added fuel to the fire and, you know, to the, to the severity of it. So back in high school, I definitely started to, um, fatigue was my first symptom. I mean, severe fatigue. So Heather, you, your self-talk was really mean, meaning you were, you were almost bullying yourself uh, because of the way you felt uh, and calling yourself lazy. Uh, how are the other people in your life treating you when you were exhibiting these symptoms of, of fatigue? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, you know, I think some of my teachers, you know, maybe weren't so nice. <laughs> Although um, I think that they were surprised that I would still maintain good grades. Um, I just remember, you know, getting in trouble for resting my head. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I, I can share a story. Um, there was one time where I did fall asleep in class and the teacher had everyone leave the room. And then the bell went off and I was in the room by myself. And, you know, as I look back and think about that story, you know, it was really hurtful because not only was I frustrated with myself? Um, I was scared because I didn't understand um, what was going on with me. And I felt almost, you know, judged because of the amount of fatigue I would experience. And because I didn't know how to articulate the way I felt, um, or maybe I was embarrassed to share how I, I felt, um, it was, you know, it was really debilitating. Now, uh, Heather, how did your peers treat you when not just this one incident where your teacher embarrassed you, but uh, just generally, uh, clearly you were, you were having symptomology that the rest of your peers weren't having. Were your friends um, suggesting that you were lazy? Were your friends isolating you or not inviting you to different events? How did this present in your social circle? You know, I was really blessed to have an amazing group of girlfriends, and not once did I ever feel judged by them. I know um, I had two friends that were just so caring and nurturing, and I remember um, even when I would come over to their 
to their house. They would just let me nap. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that, I think that that brought me a sense of comfort. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate that my friends were understanding and, you know, not judgmental. They didn't push me out by any means. If anything, I think it made them care for, care for me more. So in that respect, I was, I was very fortunate. So how, the, how did your family react to your fatigue and you presenting very differently than other people your age? Yeah, you know, my parents were never, um, you know, mean to me about it, <clears throat> excuse me. And I remember, you know, my mom and dad just being concerned. And, you know, I wish that Lyme disease, you know, had come to the surface you know, at least in the area that I lived in a bit sooner, because, you know, I did go through some testing and it just seemed like, you know, we couldn't really find what was going on. And I remember both of my parents would mention, you know, you're so tired all the time. And I think they thought maybe I was staying up too late or, um, you know, going out with friends too often. And I was a competitive gymnast. So I think um, because of that, they thought maybe it was because, you know, I would spend on average, you know, four to five hours a day in the gym. So I think they kind of connected the fatigue with, oh, well, you know, she's an athlete and she's always on the go. So I think because of that, maybe it got dismissed um, around that time. So what other symptoms were developing as your fatigue was setting in during your high school years? Yeah, so definitely fatigue. And I remember I did experience um, some weight gain, which was confusing because, you know, my diet has always been um, pretty healthy. I was very fortunate because my dad, um, he's just a health nut, um, very active. So you know, he introduced me to that lifestyle at a very young age. Um, but so the weight gain was very interesting. Um, and I remember being easily triggered. So um, if there was a loud noise, I remember I've always been very sensitive to scent, um, especially um, around high school. And I remember having um, light sensitivity, and especially inside um, I remember the classroom lights I would always um, I would develop like a, a dull headache and I just remember thinking oh these lights and I was just blamed on oh maybe I you know I just don't like fluorescent lights but now connecting the dots that makes sense so you start to have these symptoms which you're now looking back classic Lyme disease symptoms where you having um, having issues with, with uh, sense, you're having issues with light, you're having extreme fatigue. Um, did you visit any doctors and at any point did any doctor suggest that perhaps you should be tested for Lyme disease? No, never, never. So now let's, let's go forward. You, you're going through your high school years, you ultimately go to college. Talk to us about what your college experience was like and how your symptoms developed during your college years. Yeah, college, you know, that was the time I think it was, that was a pretty scary time. Um, I actually spent a night in the hospital. I was hooked up to um, 
heart rate, heart monitor. Um, I had EKG done. Um, I'll go over some of my symptoms. Again, the fatigue, although, you know, I was a full-time student, I actually had three jobs. Um, I was, you know, I, I had great grades, but, you know, the fatigue, you know, was very persistent. Um, I was experiencing heart palpitations. Um, I mean, depression, anxiety, and, um, uh, that's when um, the dizziness started to set in also. also. <clears throat> and I did find a doctor there, and that's um, when the thyroid issue came up. And when you say the thyroid issue came up, what do you mean by that? Um, so I was diagnosed with hypothyroid. And I... And I think at that time they were like, oh, well, this is what's going on. So we'll give you, um, you know, some Synthroid and you should feel better. Now, we've interviewed many folks who have been diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And as it turns out, it was actually just a symptom similar to Lyme. It was, in fact, Lyme disease. Um, do you think the diagnosis was proper? Uh, and do you think that diagnosis was triggered by your Lyme disease? Or do you think it was an improper diagnosis? You know, I, I believe I do have a thyroid issue, but I, I absolutely believe that the root cause is the Lyme disease, 100%. Okay, so now you have, again, even a greater number of very classic Lyme disease symptoms. And you now have, uh, you're presenting with a, another symptom, uh, which is hypothyroidism. Uh, did any of the doctors that you were treating with during this hospital stay suggest to you that you should be evaluated for Lyme disease or tested for Lyme disease? Nope. It, that wasn't even a conversation that we had. So now move us forward. You're, you're now uh, released from the hospital. You go back to uh, living the, the life of a very busy college student. And how are your symptoms progressing? And what doctors are you seeing? Uh, so I was only seeing a, a primary doctor. And the symptoms, all of them, you know, still consistent. And then I remember I had some pretty severe gut issues. Um, that started to um, trickle in, and that's when it it really became overwhelming because not only am I tired, I'm experiencing you know pretty severe dizziness. Now what feels like depression, and then you know to top it off, I'm having you know just excruciating you know pain in, you know in my stomach, nausea that would last days, um, sometimes weeks, um, and just, you know, a, a wide variety of GI issues, constipation, you know, diarrhea. I know that's, you know, TMI, but, you know, I'm just trying to be real. And um, just bloating that was so painful. You know, I remember telling the doctor, it feels like someone is inside of my stomach and they're pressing their fist out. And, um, you know, that, that's when, you know, things got really bad. Now, Heather, you shared with us that you were essentially bullying yourself with the voices in your own head. As all of these symptoms were developing now through your college years, um, how were the voices in your head treating you? 
I think at that point, because other symptoms were coming to the surface, I, you know, it wasn't because of the symptoms. I gave myself a little bit of grace, but it really allowed me to, to see that, hey, something is actually going on here. And, you know, I tried to separate that from blaming myself. So I'm not saying it was easy by any means. And I still had moments where, you know, I was just like, what, what are you doing wrong? Um, and, you know, you should try harder, um, you know, to, you know, eat healthier or um, not go out so much. And so I, I still struggled with the, you know, inner self-talk, but I remember it easing up a bit because, you know, this, it wasn't just because I was tired. Things were really coming to the surface. What about your social circle? How were your friends treating you now that you have the developing symptoms and you're not able to be as social as you would like to be or they would like you to be? You know, again, I, for some reason, I've been so blessed with all my friends. And even in college, you know, I still keep in touch with all my friends from college. And they are, I mean, I'm, they are angels. And not once did I ever feel judged or ridiculed. Um, so, you know, in, in that sense, I, I, I was very blessed. How, how is your family um, helping you with your developing symptoms? Meaning, were they encouraging you to go to doctors and were they encouraging you to seek additional diagnoses when you were continuing to have symptoms develop and really not getting any relief? Yeah, I remember my dad was so worried about me and I probably went to my primary care doctor, you know, a couple times a month because it came to the point where, you know, I would call and I would be in tears and we just weren't getting any answers. And um, I, you know, I, they knew I was seeking help. I was going to this primary care doctor and I, I believe, you know, I was doing the best I could with the doctor I had. And um, it just seemed like every time I'd go in, you know, it was a thyroid and then let's try this anti, um, anti-depression medication. And it was just, you know, I just felt like I was going in circles. So, you know, my, my parents were worried, but I, I think I, gave them a sense of peace because I was actively seeking help from uh, my primary care physician. Now, Heather, these symptoms continued to develop all the way until you were 31 years old when you finally got your Lyme disease diagnosis, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. And how many different doctors did you see between the time that you were in this sort of loop with this doctor who was not helping you and then finally getting your diagnosis at 31? Yeah, so... When I was in Chicago, I only, you know, I stuck with that primary care doctor because I didn't, I don't even know if, you know, functional medicine doctors or, I, I know, you know, Chinese medicine has been around for forever, but in, in regards to, you know, functional medicine or homeopathic, that wasn't even something I was really aware of or knew was accessible to me. And I was in college, so I think, you know, funds like financial 
situation had a lot to do with that also. So in Chicago, I only saw one doctor, but it wasn't until I'm, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but it wasn't until I moved to California that um, I was presented with some alternative, um, you know, doctors. Okay. So let's, let's talk about you staying with the one doctor. And I, and I hope this question doesn't sound mean, but I, I do think it's important that I ask the question. When you were in this loop where you weren't getting better, why'd you stay with the one doctor? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, not, maybe not taking full responsibility. So meaning not doing my own due diligence and putting all of my trust into this one doctor that she was eventually going to figure it out. And, you know, that is something that I definitely take ownership of. Well, let's talk about her a little bit more. Why do you think she didn't send you out to any other doctors when she with you was in this loop where you were going to her a couple of times a month and you were getting worse and worse? Why do you think she didn't send you out to a specialist or someone else to get a second opinion? So, you know, as I did, I took the time to reflect. I honestly think she thought I was just depressed. And I think she thought, you know, maybe I was trying to find an answer to the depression. I, I honestly, I think I, a lot of my symptoms were dismissed because I would be emotional. I'd be in her office and I would be crying. And I think, um, you know, I think she just looked at me like, oh, she's going through like some severe depression. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I was, although she was a very sweet and, and I felt her compassion, I, I truly believe she thought I was just, you know, I, you know, I just had depression. Heather, of course, anyone who's getting sicker and sicker and sicker and looking for answers is going to feel depressed. I mean, that seems to me something doctors should be well prepared to deal with when they have somebody who's not getting better, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, one of the things that we hear from a lot of folks who we've interviewed is that they get really frustrated when doctors tell them that it's all in their head. And it almost seems to me that even if this doctor was a sweet lady, that, you know, she was essentially saying it's all in your head. It couldn't be she who's failing. It's got to be you and it's got to be in your head. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, and I, I, I agree with that 100% because when a doctor is doing just basic blood work and nothing is coming up. Um, you know, I think they automatically jump to this has to be in their head. So, and, you know, and I, and I actually think it's worth, I, I think when doctors are not able to determine what's wrong with someone, they actually blame us for it rather than acknowledging their own limitations or their own failures. So she may have been sweet, she may have been kind, but she quite frankly wasn't particularly competent. And I think she was actually abusing you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about, let's talk about all of the other things you were misdiagnosed with, Heather, because there were many things between, you know, this young child at 17 exhibiting these classic Lyme disease symptoms. And now this 31 year old woman who is still sick and not getting any better, despite the well intentions of you know, these less incompetent doctors, what other things were you diagnosed or misdiagnosed with? So I don't know that they are for sure mis, you know, diagnoses. I say that because when 
we run the test to check the numbers, they are still there. But I do believe that the Lyme is the key factor. So um, around, so when I moved to California, I did, um, the first doctor that I came in connection with, you know, he was really great because he tested for things that no one else had, like Epstein-Barr, Hashimoto's. And, um, you know, and of course, he still would test my, my thyroid. So, uh, you know, may, maybe the Epstein-Barr played a role in um, being the root cause as well. Um, but those were the two other um, um, markers that came up, the Epstein-Barr and the Hashimoto's. So Heather, we know that Lyme disease often can create other, sim other symptoms or even illnesses, and Lyme can, can generate a lot of autoimmune diseases in people like Hashimoto's, and, and Lyme can also reactivate Epstein-Barr virus. So did any of your doctors at any point ever suggest or think you have classic Lyme symptoms, plus you have a lot of other diseases or illnesses that are usually the result of Lyme disease? At that point, no. With that, that first doctor moving to California, no, he did not even bring up Lyme disease. So let's talk a little bit more about what they were doing to treat these diagnoses. So the first one was the hypothyroidism. And you mentioned that you continue to feel worse afterwards. So were they giving you anything, any pharmaceuticals to treat the hypothyroidism? And if so, how did that make you feel? Yeah, so I, I did start on the Synthroid. But in regards to the Hashimoto's and Epstein-Barr, nothing was done. And I remember, like it was yesterday, that doctor, when he came in the room to go over my results, he looked at me and he said, I feel so sorry for you. Um, my daughter has Epstein-Barr and Hashimoto's and um, your life is going to be different. And I just remember leaving and... You know, I thought to myself, no, that's not going to be me. And I'm going to find a way to heal myself and get better. Um, so, you know, like I said, nothing was done for the Hashimoto's or Epstein-Barr at that point, but I was put on Synthroid. Did the Synthroid help you in any way or were there any negative side effects or was there just no reaction at all to that medication? At that point, I had no reaction at all. And another common thing is we've heard from many past podcast guests that Hashimoto's and Epstein-Barr and a lot, of the thing, a lot of these types of illnesses can be effectively treated using natural, natural treatments or, or holistic treatments like herbs and supplements. Was this ever discussed with your doctor in California once you got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and Epstein-Barr? Um, at that point, uh, with that doctor, no. So now at this point, just to put in perspective, how old were you and where were you at in your life at this point when you were in California? Now you have Hashimoto's, you have Epstein-Barr, and you have hypothyroidism. Yeah, so that was um, around 2011. And I remember this day perfectly also. Um, because the fatigue, again, was so, it was bad. Um, I was on the phone with my mom. I was driving home from work. And I said, Mom, I'm going to pull over and I, I, need to, I need to close my eyes. 
it was that bad. And it's not like I had an hour commute. I'm talking, you know, on a day without traffic, 20 minutes. So I pulled over into a parking lot and I woke up. Um, it had to have been four hours later. I was sweating. I mean, I was, my body was drenched. I had like 30 missed calls from my mom. And she said, if you don't find a doctor that can help you, you know, your dad and I are going to have to either come there or you're going to need to come home because this is really scaring us. And that was kind of my wake up call that this isn't a life that I could live much longer. Um, you know, because first of all, pulling over on the side of the road is not safe, you know, to sleep. And I was miserable. Heather, did you believe your diagnoses at this point? So you're, you're about 25, right? You're, you're living in California, you're, you're away from your family and your, your primary care physician now in California is saying you're gonna have to live with this and these are illnesses that you just have to manage and there's nothing we can do. Did you accept these diagnoses or were you always questioning, was there something deeper causing your symptoms? Oh, I definitely questioned, um, you know, uh, reading the symptoms of Epstein-Barr and Hashimoto's, I was like, okay, well, they are, you know, they're in connection. And um, okay, maybe that, that is true. But my gut told me that, you know, there was something else that we were missing, especially because he couldn't even offer um, you know, a treatment at that point for the Hashimoto's or Epstein-Barr. And um, that's when I think I started to talk about my situation a little bit more because not that I was ashamed of myself, but I was a little embarrassed that I was experiencing, um, you know, it's not, it's not easy to tell someone that you have to pull over and take a nap in your car on your 20 minute ride home from work. But after, you know, I started to wake up and realize the severity of all this, I, I did start to talk to friends and coworkers. And that's kind of when things started to work in my favor because I was introduced to a couple uh, different doctors. So I think what you just said is a really important lesson for those that are listening. And I myself did the same thing where you're, you're ashamed of your symptoms and you don't want to speak about your illness. So you just pretend that everything is okay for the most part. So, you know, thinking back, would you recommend for yourself and others who are going through the same situation that they be more vocal and open about their symptoms and that may help them shortcut themselves to a faster diagnosis potentially? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think we come up with these stories in our head, um, you know, and sometimes they're a bit wild <laughs> and you think that people are going to judge you or maybe look at you different. But in my experience, wow, I was blown away with how many people truly wanted to help me and see me healthy. So that was absolutely a learning lesson for me. And, and I'll be honest, I still struggle sometimes. Um, with being fully transparent with the way I feel, uh, whether it's, you know, at work or um, friends or family. So, you know, that is something that I still work on, but absolutely, if, if I could go back and do it again, I, I truly believe I would have gotten to the root cause um, much faster. 
So, so Heather, talk to us more now about your opening up to your friends and family members. And at this point, do you finally see a specialist or specialists, plural, to identify maybe other things that are going on that be, could be causing your other symptoms? Um, eventually, it did lead to that. Uh, I was first introduced to a couple Chinese medicine doctors, and I found a lot of success with one in particular, but it almost felt as if, you know, it would get me to a good place for a couple of weeks and then boom, I'm right back to square one. So although I believe that um, that type of uh, treatment works, for me, it wasn't enough to keep my head above water or, you know, to create some stability um, for me. So I, I believe that it did help. Um, and that was one of the things that opened my eyes to alternative um, uh, doctors and treatments. So can you give us an example? So now this is obviously pre-Lyme diagnosis and these, these Chinese medicine doctors were trying to help you with your symptoms, but they didn't know what the root cause was to help identify tools to treat the root cause. So your symptoms kept persisting after these, these uh, Chinese, treat, Chinese medicine treatments. So can you give us an idea what some of these treatments were that helped you get temporary relief from your symptoms? Yeah, so the first Chinese medicine doctor that um, I was introduced to was, you know, he mainly did reflexology and, um, you know, um, on the feet. And he also gave me some herbs. And I will say that I actually went off the Synthroid and went on to herbs and, and consistently did see him for the reflexology. So for a while that did work. And I just got to a point where it, you know, it wasn't enough. And, you know, with Lyme, if you're, if you're not treating the Lyme, you know, your symptoms will persist. So after that, I, um, you know, because I had been in the fitness industry, I, I was fortunate enough to meet a client that also recommended um, uh, two doctors. And, and I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, so uh, please stop me if, um, if I'm doing that. Um, one of the Chinese medicine doctors was a energy muscle tester. And, um, you know, that she, she was great and, again, um, worked, but just wasn't enough because, you know, we weren't treating the Lyme. We were treating the symptoms that were probably the result of the Lyme. And then I also went to um, another doctor who, um, you know, he did some alternative uh, frequency, energy, um, testing, and uh, treatment. So Heather, for those that are listening that don't know what foot reflexology is, because that seemed to help you get off the medication you're on for your hypothyroidism, can you describe for listeners what foot reflexology is and how it helped you? Yeah, so um, the Dr. Chin, the, the doctor that I was seeing, um, you know, it's, it's actually pretty aggressive. And I remember thinking, wow, this really hurts. But um, there are points in our feet that are connected to different organs and parts of our body. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if I don't um, perfectly describe this. I don't, you know, uh, know exactly the science behind it. But um, from what, you know, I can articulate is that 
um, when those points are, are rubbed or massaged, um, they help the process of healing um, the organs that are suffering. You also mentioned that you did some energy and frequency testing and treatments. So can you go into a little bit more detail about what that means and describe what that was like? Yeah. So um, Dr. Gallister, he's actually in um, uh, Santa Monica. And again, um, I apologize if I don't describe this um, perfectly, but um, he uses a lot of German uh, technology. So um, he would put vials um, on me, uh, vials of different, whether it's supplements or um, uh, viruses, bacteria. And, um, you know, he had a frequency machine and depending on how the frequency machine reacted, um, it would be either something was happening or going on, or there was a supplement or herb that my body needed. Um, so a lot of times it would be testing the liver, the adrenals, um, pituitary gland. Um, and I, I did find a lot of success, although it sounds a little woo woo and, um, questionable. Uh, it is something that I truly believe in. And, and I think um, it, it did help me. Um, it would help get my head above water for a short period of time. What's surprising to me, Heather, is that we've had a lot of past guests who have had success with energy and frequency uh, treatments and also diagnostic tools to diagnose Lyme disease. And it seems like this doctor was able to help you get some relief, but couldn't identify Lyme disease as being the cause. Is, is that correct? Correct. Yes. And all of this still is pre-Lyme. So were there any other treatments you did now that you were seeking to get help and understanding that you needed to do something to increase your quality of life? Were there any other treatments that you did before your Lyme diagnosis? Um, so I was, referred to a integrative GI doctor and he put me on a gut protocol and he is actually the one that mentioned Lyme disease to me and I can kind of share how that story went if um, if you want that'd be perfect please yeah so um, his name is Dr. Rabar he's out in Beverly Hills and um, you know, I was, I was working with him for a long time and this is when my symptoms were, were pretty bad. I, I would go to work and, um, and this is when I was a trainer and a yoga and group fitness instructor. And I remember I would have to hold on to the wall because I was so dizzy. Um, I would literally have to run out of my class to use the restroom and that in itself is you know, debilitating. It's, it's embarrassing um, to have to step out like that. And um, there was a point where I had to crawl up the stairs. Um, I was so weak. I, I, I couldn't even walk up one flight of stairs at my house. And, um, and then I had um, a very traumatic GI episode and I was sent in for an emergency endoscopy. And Dr. Rabar was the one that performed that. And he sat down with me after and, um, you know, he held my hand and he was just so sweet. And he noticed that I had this little bump on my left hand, which I always thought and was told was a skin tag. 
And he said, how long have you had that? And I said, oh, well, this happened in college. And he said, okay, let's talk a little bit more. And he, he, I think we sat there for like an hour and, and he goes, you know, now that I think of it, your symptoms are very much in alignment with a lot of my Lyme patients. And he said, have you been tested for Lyme? And I said, no. And he said, okay, I think it's time that we test you for that. And, um, and we did, I did the um, Western blot and I also did a DNA connections um, urine test and both came back positive. So it seems like you finally got your Lyme diagnosis because a doctor, and I don't want to say that the others didn't, but a doctor genuinely cared about you and spent the time over an hour to talk with you about your life and what was going on to then use that discussion to come to the conclusion that most of what you're saying lines up with Lyme disease. Had any other doctor prior to this given you that amount of time or that amount of care to try to diagnose your, your illness? No. And above and beyond the time he spent with me, it's just like the way that he acknowledged me and looked at me and even him just simply holding my hand when I was so scared was, it was like, wow, like someone is hearing me right now. So yeah, I'm, I'm forever grateful to him. And what type of doctor was he? Uh, he was actually a GI, an integrative GI specialist. Well, I think the key there is that he was an integrative GI specialist. And from our experience, it's generally integrative doctors. When we leave typical Western medicine is when we get um, the compassion and care and, and ultimately the, the diagnosis that we really have. Uh, so you mentioned that he noticed a, a bump on your hand when he was holding your hand after your, your emergency endoscopy. Did he believe that that was a scar or bump as a result of a tick bite you had gotten when you were in college? No. So uh, this is a bit embarrassing, but it ended up being a wart. And I, I don't know, um, you know, I never actually researched, you know, Lyme and, and, and warts, <laughs> but um, for some reason that tipped him off. Um, he looked at, you know, he looked at and he's like, how long have you had this? And have you tried to, you know, get rid of it? Does it keep coming back? And for some reason that right there, he was like, huh, her, all of this is in alignment with his other Lyme patients that, um, you know, he had. So Heather, when you did the lab core test and the DNA connection urine test, did you, did you test for any other co-infections or just Lyme at the time? Yeah, I, I did uh, test for co-infections and I had a handful come back. Of course, the Borrelia and then the, and I'm, I apologize if I butcher, <laughs> the uh, Burgdorfi and Babesia, Bartonella, yeah, Ehrlichia. Yeah, so I did have a handful come back. So let's talk about how you felt at this point, because now, uh, you know, how old are you at this point? I was 31. So this was 14 years after you first got sick, and you finally get a diagnosis yep. that we now believe actually was the root cause of your symptoms that developed when you were 17 years old. So describe for us what that was like to get this positive diagnosis of Lyme and all these co-infections from this integrative GI doctor that you found. Oh, I mean, I was, I was over the moon. I remember, you know, everyone was like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, for what? 
you know, because I'm a very action goal oriented person. And I knew like I was going to follow the protocol to a T and I knew having that diagnosis, I could do everything in my power, you know, that was accessible to me at that point to get better. And now that I had a proper diagnosis, I could do my own due diligence. I could, um, you know, find a support group and, and, um, all of that, you know, gave me such a sense of ease and peace. You know, maybe I had small, um, you know, a short amount of time where I might've been a little discouraged with the diagnosis, but, um, you know, I, I felt just so lucky to have an answer. So talk to us about what this doctor's appointment was like when you got your diagnosis. Did your doctor tell you this was going to be a long journey to recovery? Was it more happy and optimistic? I mean, obviously you were excited to have a, a real diagnosis, but did, did, you, did he at the time set forth a realistic expectation of what your future was going to be like for your treatment plan? So what I appreciate about Dr. Rabar is just his, he has such a great perspective and he's just, you know, he's, he's just a bright light. And that's what I really appreciate about him. And, you know, something he said to me that also gave me a sense of peace is he said, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. Don't, don't worry. And um, that definitely, you know, set the tone that, you know, hey, I, I'm going to get better. You know, it might take time, but here's a doctor that has many Lyme patients. And he's obviously on to something. And, um, you know, that definitely gave me some hope and a sense of peace. So now, did he, did he work with you to develop a treatment plan? Or did he refer you to an infectious disease doctor or a neurologist or another doctor to treat you for your Lyme disease? Yeah, he actually referred me to um, Dr. Lehman, um, in Beverly Hills, who is a infectious disease specialist and also a Lyme literate doctor. And how long did it take for you to get in to see Dr. Lehman? We've, we've heard a lot about her on um, social media and just in the Lyme community. So was it, a, was it a lengthy wait to get in to see this Lyme literate, Lyme literate specialist near where you lived? No, I actually, I think I got in that next week. I you know, I actually think it was just a couple days later because I remember um, he had emailed her all of my history right away because, um, you know, she could get me in. I don't know if he called her and, you know, shared the case with her or the severity of it, but I, I did get in right away. So let's talk about that appointment. So a few days later now, you're going to this, this Lyme literate infectious disease specialist. And what was the treatment plan that you were given to move forward and start to heal from Lyme disease? So the first um, treatment plan was antibiotics. Do you recall and the, it type, was, it was the a type of antibiotics? Yeah, um, we did flagell. I'm, and I, I apologize if I'm not um, pronouncing that right. Um, and I remember Zithromax, doxycycline, um, and I remember that there was one other one. Um, then we also did my statin, um, diflucan. It was it was a wide variety, and 
you know, in, in my heart, I believe that that is what we had to do um, to kill the bad bugs. Um, but after, I believe it was about nine months, I, I was tapped out. I couldn't do the antibiotics anymore. I was done. I knew that I had reached my limit and, um, you know, we had to, to try something different. So how are you feeling throughout this nine months? You were on a pretty heavy combination of antibiotics and other medications, which really could have a lot of side effects with these medications too. So were you getting relief from your symptoms? Were you feeling worse before you started to feel better? Give us an idea of that nine month period and how you felt during that treatment window. I actually started to feel better for a bit. And then I think the antibiotics just became too much um, especially um, with my gut. And I just remember feeling like I was in a fog. Um, I remember I would be, I would get agitated easily. And um, yeah, I just, I just remember there came a point where I was like, you know what, I can't do the antibiotics anymore. I just can't. And, and then, um, you know, uh, we switched. And that you're tapping out from the antibiotics. I mean, it's, it took its toll on your gut. It just started having some, some too strong side effects. You were on them for, for nine months. You've made some progress, but now you're going to pivot to another treatment option at that point. So what was next in your treatment plan? And did you, were you still staying with the same doctor? Or were you seeing any other doctors at this time? So I, 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 I did stay with Dr. Lehman. Um, and, you know, at that time i i did have a, a pretty good savings so i did as much as i could with what i had and we did introduce um ozone and iv nutrients and you know a wide variety of herbs and um and i remember that that definitely it did help and we did a lot of gut repair because, um, you know, with the antibiotics, as you know, it, it takes its toll. So at this point, the ozone that you were getting uh, above and beyond all the IV nutrients and the herbs, was the ozone being administered intravenously through an IV? Was it being done, um, you know, in a different way? What type of ozone therapy were you getting at this point? Uh, so I was doing IV and um, here and there uh, rectal. And looking back, do you think that ozone therapy helped you in your, your journey or is it something that you tried and you felt just didn't help you and then you had to move on to the next thing? You know, I think it, I think it did help. Um, and I also think that ozone is really great for maintenance, but I'm just not convinced it was enough for me at that point. So how long were you on the, you were on the herbs, the IV nutrients and the ozone? How long were you on those, on, those four before you decided that they weren't working and you moved to another treatment plan? Yeah, so I was with Dr. Lehman up until 2019. And, um, you know, with all due respect, you know, she's a very busy doctor, and I just think that she was too busy to offer the amount of support I needed. So I started to do research, and, and you know, she's a brilliant doctor. She's 
honestly, she's, she's great. Um, but I, I just needed a, a little more support and I started to, to do some research and I, you know, I found the whole TORF group and I started there with Dr. Evans, but then I was referred out to Dr. Hunt because Dr. Hunt um, is, you know, the top line disease doctor at the whole TORF group. And um, I started there in November and November of 2019. And within a couple of weeks of seeing Dr. Hunt, I was a completely different person. So before we go there, Heather, do you feel that yeah. the herbs and the ozone therapy, the rectal and IV ozone therapy and the IV nutrients and everything you were doing in your second phase with Dr. Lehman helped you a little bit further in your journey? So the antibiotics for nine months, then the, the combination of the herbs, the nutrients through IV and the ozone, they helped you get a little bit better. But it sounds like when you started, you know, late last year in 2019 with uh, Dr. Hunt from the Holtfort group, that he changed your protocol. So was when, when you started, was your protocol changed or did he keep you on what Dr. Lehman had you on? No, um, um, I, I will say, you know, Dr. Lehman, she definitely got my head above water and I did start to see glimpses of like my old self coming back in, in terms of, um, you know, having days where I felt good. But when I went to the whole turf group, I brought my bag of supplements and basically she was like, I, we're going to stop all of that. That's too much. And um, that was also relieving to me because I had, you know, supplement fatigue for sure. And um, yeah, so my, to answer your question, my protocol was completely shifted and changed. So let's talk about that. How many, how many supplements were you taking on a daily basis while you were with Dr. Lehman before you switched over to Dr. Hunt? Well, I had at least, I mean, I brought like a, a grocery bag full. So I would say probably about 30. And that's not uncommon. I mean, if we, we actually did a poll recently on our, on our Instagram story and many, many people when treating with Lyme take anywhere between 20 and some people upwards of 70 uh, supplements per, per day. So unfortunately that is not yeah. uncommon for people with Lyme disease, mm -hmm. but it seems like, you know, you made a little bit of progress with Dr. Lehman, but you really the game changer. And what really was the biggest improvement in your health came when you found Dr. Hunt and shortly after you found Dr. Hunt. So we're excited to hear about what those treatment options were that you changed to when you saw Dr. Hunt that really was, were the game changer in your recovery. Yeah, so I think there were a few game changers. So um, one would be, you know, Dr. Hunt, just like Dr. Rabar, you know, she sat down with me and she didn't have her phone in the room she didn't have people coming in and distracting her. She wasn't checking her email while she was in the session with me. She was truly there with me. And that first and foremost almost takes, you know, some weight off your shoulders. And, and I think mentally and emotionally that was a part of the healing as well. Um, and, and then um, as far as, the treatment plan that was shifted. Um, I'll also mention that it the whole turf group is half the cost. So I 
ozone is accessible to me multiple times a week now. Um, IVs are accessible to me multiple times a week. Um, so the cost um, was at least cut in half, sometimes more. And I think that that played a huge part in my healing, to not have the financial stress. Um, and then, of course, we can get into the treatment plan. So, um, you know, I, I still continued the 10 pass, sometimes eight, depending on time, of ozone. Um, I was doing, you know, high-dose um, uh, nutrient IV, um, including glutathione, and um, Plaquex was um, introduced, which that was an amazing, um, you know, I mean, that was a game changer for me. Um, and then... What is, what is Plaquex? Is that, is, what type of medicine is that? So Plaquex um, helps, um, it's like a binder, but um, beyond that, you know, so it pulls out toxins, but it also helps repair cells, um, uh, from what, what I've read and, um, that, you know, when I leave after a Plaquex IV, I feel, I just feel amazing. So I'll do, um, you know, eight to 10, depending on how much I have, um, eight to 10, um, uh, pass of ozone. I'll do glutathione, um, a high dose nutrient IV bag, and then the Plaquex and, um, that, I, I mean, I just leave and I feel, I feel great. And um, we also introduced um, the NAD. And here and there, I will add in um, ketamine IV. So can you talk to us about what is NAD? It's an IV uh, infusion? Yeah, so um, my experience with NAD, and I know a lot of Lyme patients uh, suffer from brain fog, my brain fog, you know, it, it, ha it absolutely has gotten better, but there, you know, was a time where it was really bad. And um, I know a lot of people can relate to, you know, it, it's very embarrassing because um, your capacity to retain or understand um, or even hold a conversation um, is challenging. I mean, there were times, and it, it still pops up here and there, there were times I'd be in mid-conversation and I would like what what was I even just saying I, I just blinked <laughs> so the NAD has really helped with that as well as energy and I also felt as if once I introduced the NAD my ability to work out um, longer or with more intensity also increased so can you talk to us more about how the ketamine IV helped you? We've actually had some other podcast guests describe that ketamine had helped them as well, but we want to hear how it has helped, you know, what ketamine is generally used for and how it helped you in your healing journey. So um, I started doing ketamine um, actually after my mom passed um, because I was, um, it was suggested to me to start taking Zoloft and that just didn't resonate with me. So um, Dr. Hunt, you know, recommended ketamine uh, for depression, but also um, on a, a preventative measure, um, you know, cause with Lyme you're already, you know, it, it, I don't think it's uncommon to feel down and blue and, and, and a little depressed when you're, um, you know, handling life and 
relationships. And then on top of it, you're in this constant battle every day to to feel well and to do your daily tasks. So um, I'm very thankful that that was introduced to me. So the experience is interesting, um, but I just, you know, I try to close my eyes. I'll bring my headphones, um, you know, because that's what makes me feel comfortable at least. And so the experience is interesting. And even about 15 minutes after the IV, you feel a little, um, what I describe as loopy, maybe even a little drunk. <laughs> um, but um, for me, that has really helped not only with my mood, but I wake up and I'm just like, wow, I'm so grateful. Like I just wake up with this sense of gratitude and I noticed that shift after um, starting the ketamine IV. So, you know, most people with Lyme have these feelings of depression or anxiety and they, they struggle because number one, when you're that sick, of course you're going to be depressed. And number two, Lyme actually does create these symptoms. They actually will make you, Lyme can make you depressed. That is, a, that is a symptom of Lyme disease. So it sounds like for those that are really struggling with their mental health, maybe ketamine can help them have a more positive outlook and, and bounce back from this depression. Is that an accurate assessment of, in your mind, what ketamine can do for people with Lyme? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And in addition to ketamine, I mean, it seems like Dr. Hunt really hit every piece of your illness from the, the emotional to the physical, to the detox, to the rebuilding of, of you know, the strengthening of your, of your cells. Was there anything else uh, after the ketamine IVs that really helped you with uh, Dr. Hunt? Oh, yes. Um, I, I'm, I forgot to mention SOT therapy. Um, I, I believe that that, I mean, you know, everyone is different, but that has helped me so much. I'm actually going to do it again, um, you know, um, come September, which it basically already is, but, um, yeah, the SOT for me, I mean, it has created, you know, a sustainable, you know, wellness health, um, for me, um. So, can you, can you talk to us more about what SOT is? We've, we've actually heard about it a few times and almost everybody we've spoken to about SOT has said that it's been very helpful in their recovery from Lyme disease. Yeah, so, um, you know, they, um, the nurse took my blood and then they send it to a lab in Greece. And from what I've been told, they magnify the blood by 3000% so that they can see exactly what is happening in you and not just in a gen general sense. Um, and then they create a um, IV bag and then they send it back. And then it is, um, you know, it is an IV. And I think it took about two weeks for me to feel anything and then even after that two weeks, it was slowly, slowly, slowly. And then I just remember waking up and I, I was working out like I used to. And um, I felt like at work, my performance, you know, really increased. And I was social again. And I was going out with my friends and, um, you know, not in excess by any means, but my I was able to tolerate 
um, a glass or two of champagne or, um, you know, a spicy margarita, um, you know, and, and that um, was, ne- you know, I, my ability to tolerate alcohol was, um, was very low. So, um, so I noticed so that as well. From, a, from how we understand that SLT really creates this, the shutoff key or, or shuts down the bacteria that you have in your body. So you send away your blood. It's, I don't think they can do this here in the States, but they analyze it over overseas and they use the examination of your blood to develop this, the shutoff key essentially to then be injected back into you to sort of, you know, neutralize or kill the Lyme bacteria. Is that an accurate assessment of what you think SOT is? We're just trying to get a better understanding of how it works. Oh yeah. Um, so how it's been described to me, it, can't actually kill it, but it can stop it from growing and taking over. So um, I hope that clarifies. It does. Thank you. So okay. it seems like it seems like that that SOT, the Plaquex, the, I'm sorry, the Plaquex, the I'm butchering that word. I apologize. And the <laughs> SOT, the Plaquex, which I just, I don't know why I'm saying it that way. And NAD were the real big game changers for you. Is that, is that were those the top three that you think were um, helpful in your recovery? Yeah, and I can actually say that with complete confidence because even my dad he was like, wow, you just even sound better. You know, because my dad lives in Michigan and, and he knows when we're on the phone, he's like, oh, you're not feeling well. And, you know, about a couple of weeks into the SOT, he's like, wow, you just, you sound like a completely different person. He's like, I'm just so happy. And um, so it wasn't just me that noticed the results. It was other people also. And now all of this was over the last three years from essentially when you got diagnosed and then you started seeing Dr. Hunt is really when you had the major progress. Were there any other therapies that you've done with Dr. Hunt in addition to these therapies you outlined in, in, you know, in chronological order that you feel have been helpful in your Lyme recovery? Yeah, I would like to mention, um, you know, the uh, infrared sauna. And I, fortunately, um, my in my uh, town, there's a um, wellness studio and the woman that owns the studio has infrared pods that are lined with crystals, which, you know, I, I just, I love. So um, that really um, attracted me to, to doing that. And then also um, lymphatic massage while you're in the infrared pod. And what I'll say about infrared, it's almost like instant gratification for me at least. So I'll, if I'm feeling lousy, I'll go, I leave, I feel better. Again, it's not something that I think is, will create, you know, stability long-term, but I, I really believe that if you're feeling bad, you know, really bad and you go more than likely, you know, you'll feel better. Um, and um, also um, I just started um, adding in, endermology, which is a lymphatic massage. And that, because um, I know this is common with a lot of Lyme patients, is a lot of neck pain, joint pain. And um, ever since I've been doing that, I try to go two times a week if time permits. And that has really helped also. Um, and um, I've also done, I've um, also added in BPC uh, 157, which 
has been a game changer too if you're struggling with um, any gut issues. Um, that has really, really helped also. So Heather, could you talk to us more about what is BPC-157? You mentioned that it helps with your gut health, but what exactly is that? Yeah, so how it's been um, described to me, so you can actually do BP, BPC-157 orally, and you can actually do um, injections. Um, uh, it's a peptide. So um, I was at one point doing both, but injecting myself just is not um, appealing to me. And I noticed I was not doing it um, consistently because I just, I just did not like, you know, the injection. So um, I've been sticking with the oral supplement and what I've been told is that it helps repair um, damaged tissues um, and it also helps repair your gut. So if you have leaky gut, um, I believe it helps with candida as well or any gut um, uh, 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 imbalance. Um, but for me, it was um, to repair my gut because we um, uh, did a stool test that came back. I had leaky gut. So the BPC-157 is a peptide, and that has really um, helped personally for my, my, um, my gut issues. But I've done some reading about the injections and how if um, you have an injury, it um, really um, speeds up the healing process. It seems like to us that once you have late stage or chronic Lyme, that there's not one thing you can do to get better. And really it's different for everybody, depending on their body, their DNA, the type of Lyme uh, strain they have, plus the co-infections. But you have found a combination of things to help alleviate some of your symptoms in the short term, the emotional symptoms, the physical symptoms, and also address the root cause of Lyme and the co-infections and have had major success in doing so, thankfully, to the help of these great doctors you have found. And also, also, able to do it in a more affordable manner. So as a result of all these things, how, how would you assess your health today? What percentage would you say you were recovered from your Lyme disease and co-infections? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would say before my mom passed, I was at about 80%. And, um, you know, my mom passed, and I think you know, with anyone, it would it would um, cause a little bit of a um, flare up, and you know, I'm working through that right now, and I can tell, um, you know, I'm slowly progressing back. Um, but right now, I would say about seventy percent, and it's mostly fatigue and brain fog, and I know that those symptoms are also connected to grieving. So I don't want to blame it all on the line in this moment, but I would say, you know, I'm at a solid 70% right now. Sarah, we're really sorry for the passing of your mom and, and we're sorry for, of course, the additional impact that it's having on you. Uh, the stress, of course, is causing a suppression of your immune system and you're, and you're getting um, I guess a revival of some of your symptoms. So we're, we're so sorry for both your loss and for the challenges that uh, the loss is causing you physically. Yeah, thank you. So, but we also need to talk to you about your transformation, which has been unbelievably beautiful. I mean, you went from being this, you know, 
very sick person who, um, who was having all kinds of challenges get diagnosed. So now being a very public person and a very vulnerable person who is now reaching out to folks in the Lyme community. So you can talk about how you went through that transformation from being this person on a diagnostic journey and, um, and of course being very sick to now being this vulnerable person who's reaching out to people in the Lyme community and trying to help them shortcut their journeys. Well, I think one thing that, you know, having, you know, been faced with Lyme disease is you really develop compassion um, and patience for others, first and foremost. The experience of being ill um, to the point where you're crawling up the stairs, you're sweating through the night, you know, your bed is wet. And because of that, um, your work is compromised. You know, that in itself is a challenge. But when you come out of that, at least for me, it's, it's almost, you know, it almost feels like your responsibility to make sure no one ever goes through what you went through. And I, I believe that that's what Lyme has taught me, um, you know, compassion, patience, but also when you succeed from something that was so challenging and debilitating, you have to share that. You have to, even if that treatment plan or that, um, you know, peace of mind um, doesn't help them, you know, it might help someone else that they know or, um, it might lead them to the right treatment plan. And that was the moment I started to come out of, you know, the darkness. I was like, I, I'm, I need to help people. I need to reach out. Um, you know, I, I'm still not 100% vulnerable in terms of sharing everything. I mean, with, here with you and with Red Outline, yes, but um, on my personal page, I still struggle a little bit, so I, I'll take ownership of that. But in terms of my motivation to uh, reach out and um, help support and guide, um, that is absolutely, um, you know, priority and, and my mission. So let's speak about one more thing that uh, I agree with you is a part of the responsibility that all people who have been on this type of journey should assume. And you're doing a beautifully, uh, you did it certainly wonderfully at Right Out Lime and you're doing it beautifully here with us today. Talk to us about what would happen if God forbid, one of your good friends came into your room right now and showed you they were being bitten by a tick. What you, would you recommend that he or she do so that they wouldn't have a terrible Lyme disease journey the way you had? Yeah, I would, you know, 100% have them send that tick out to be tested. And I think because I'm so sensitive to all of this and, and, and I know the severity of it, I would more than likely suggest that they either find the herbs that work, but I'm personally, for me, I would probably go for the antibiotics and, um, you know, cause I, I think it's, you have like what, 24, 48 hours, um, you know, before things start to really develop. So, you know, I would 
absolutely suggest get in, whether it's urgent care, if, if you can't get into your doctor, um, you know, I, I would handle it right away. Thank you for listening to the Tink Boot Camp interview with Heather Glovac. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about the compassionate and patient Heather Glovac and her Lyme disease journey, please visit her Instagram page at Just Glow With It. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of Thick Boot Camp Podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of this post. Third, Thick Boot Camp is created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past guests on this podcast. We urge you to visit our website at www.thickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer to the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates about Tick Boot Camp Podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. We thank you for listening.